Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the January 27th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. I have two exciting topics to discuss with you today, the first of which is our new sponsor for Local Matters, that is Security Federal Bank. We have their bank president, Phil Wall, and Michael Strange, one of their executive vice presidents, here with us today to talk about the payroll protection program. Uh, That program is available to business owners as well as self-employed individuals, and they are here to discuss the application process and how they work with you, hold your hands to make sure that if you want to apply for those funds that you can successfully submit an application. I also have Mr. Galen Toodle, who represents Walton Options. This will be part one of our discussion about disability issues in our community. Stay with us. Hold on tight for a great show. Today, I have two people with me to explain their role in the community, first being their president, Mr. Phil Wall, uh, who I worked with pretty extensively through his role with the Convention and Visitors Bureau, uh, and Mr. Michael Strange, uh, who is not based in Augusta, but also plays a pivotal role with the bank. How are you all doing today? Doing great. Thank you very much, Janice. Doing great. How about you? Great, great. Thank you so much for being here. Um, Phil, as we talked earlier, as I looked at your website, I see that uh, Security Federal Bank is probably the best kept secret in all of Augusta uh, from the standpoint that I don't think people know the role that you all play as a community development financial institution or a CDFI. Uh, Can you all talk a little bit about what it means to be to be a CDFI? Yeah, I'll start out and then I'll hand it over to Michael because, you know, he heads up our community development and public affairs. But, uh, you know, uh, for 100 years, we have been based in uh, this community and we'll celebrate 100 years next month, uh, next year, I'm sorry, in uh, uh, 2022. But the um, purpose that we have uh, and and our motto that we have is helping people changing lives. And as a uh, CDFI bank, you know, a community development financial institution, we, we focus our efforts in an agreement with the U.S. Treasury Department um, on underserved communities and, and helping to uh, focus on the needs of, uh, of those areas and those individuals and businesses and such that are in the uh, underserved um, areas of our community. So, um, that is a, a unique role. Uh, there's only a couple of banks in South Carolina and a couple of them in Georgia. And uh, so we're glad to be in that position to help to uh, uh, serve a special need. And Michael, if you have any remarks you want to make about that. I, I would just add, Phil, that, that was a great job. I would just add that, uh, you know, being a CDFI allows us to um, have a connection with, uh, to receive some federal funds and grants as well. So, there are a lot of advantages um, and we're able to help uh, communities with low to moderate income families and uh, help develop and uh, make sure that they um, get a fair opportunity at at, um, residential and uh, consumer loans. 
All right. Thank you. And today you all want to talk specifically about the PPP loans that are being offered through the federal government. Uh, there was a round of loans that was approved and distributed last year uh, with the updated stimulus package, total of about $900 million. There's additional money for, was it 900 billion? Let me get that right. 900 billion, right? Yes. Um, yes. So some of that money is set aside for uh, more business loans for uh, businesses that are struggling as a result of the pandemic. Um, there's draw one and draw two. Uh, a lot of things that look complicated. Phil, can you help simplify that for us? Yeah, we'll try to. And uh, again, the Paycheck Protection Program is the PPP for short. Uh, we, we started... Um, as uh, a local community bank on the first two rounds and found that, you know, that local um, personal service was a win-win for our customers and for us. And uh, we're able to help over 1,400 applicants, small businesses in our communities with over $76 million. So uh, we feel like we've uh, done a great job on the first two rounds and we're excited about being uh, a part of the next round, which is, uh, uh, you know, an opportunity to get those people didn't get a chance to either apply the first time in the last couple of rounds, or now there's a second draw opportunity for those businesses that have suffered a uh, decrease in their revenue. So, um, you know, as far as the first draws go, that is somebody who has not applied previously. Uh, we are taking those applications, and uh, again, these are small businesses, and, and the difference this time is that these are uh, targeted at businesses with less than 300 employees, so we're, uh, we're handling those requests for first-time draws, and what that calculation is is take your annual spend on payroll divide it by 12, and this is all based on the 2019 number, um, and divide that by 12, multiply it by two and a half, and that's your PPP loan amount. Now, we have to have verification of that. We have to uh, identify and document the, the costs that you have, but once you've received that money, then you can spend it out 60% towards payroll cost, and then 40% to things like utilities, overhead, rent, uh, interest on loan, uh, mortgage loans and such. But that, that is the uh, first draw portion of this program. And uh, again, um, even though there was money left over in those previous rounds, we're finding there's a lot of people that didn't get access maybe because they didn't understand how to apply or they were intimidated or not informed. And we're trying to get that word out here. That's why we're on your show. And we are you know, pleased to be able to hopefully reach an audience that may need some assistance with this because that's what we do. We hold the hand of those applicants and get them through the process, let them know what the information is that we need. And uh, we will make sure that, uh, that they get processed and get the loan that, that they need. And you mentioned handholding, which is what some folks frankly need, because again, this looks so complicated. Um, tell me what's the first step if I'm a business owner, I meet the qualifications, you know, small business, less than 300 employees, definitely had losses as a result of the pandemic. 
what what do I need to do? Well, uh, first make a phone call, um, and we uh, can provide uh, the access via phone. Uh, I mean, you can, we can call call any of our branches. Uh, we can also, you know, provide that for you on our uh, website. You, there's information on our website, uh, securityfederalbank.com. Uh, you know, get the information there. There's, uh, 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 you know, certainly uh, several different ways to reach us. And I think that what we'll do is we will take that on a one-on-one basis and then get you to the right person. Uh, we're not going to send you to a portal. We're not going to send you to some, uh, you know, third party. We, we will hand or hold your hand and, and take you through the whole process. That sounds great. And they can call any branch in the area. Um, and I know there are several, there are four branches in the Metro Augusta area. Your territory also extends into South Carolina up to Columbia and Lexington. Uh, how many correct. total branches do you have? Uh, we have 17 offices and we'll have one more that is going to be um, online in 2022 on Broad Street downtown. So we have the Waltonway office and then we have a North Augusta office and we'll have the Broad Street. We also have an office in Clearwater, Graniteville in those areas of the kind of metro area here. All right, right. And Michael, you want to tell us some about the uh, draw too? Yes, I can. So um, of course the uh, US Treasury Department, SBA has um, uh, made available to businesses the sec for a second draw. If you've already applied for it, first for received the first draw and has um, have that forgiven already. Um, so the second draw is available to businesses. Um, so again, previously, if they received the first draw PPP, um, also, uh, and it applies here as well, no more than 300 employees. And that they can demonstrate, this makes this one a little bit unique, that they have to demonstrate at least a 25% reduction in gross receipts uh, between comparable quarters from 2019 and 2020. So it, it gets a little complicated there, but but we want everybody to know, don't panic, give us a call and, and let's talk about how your revenue looks during that time period, um, how your gross receipts look during that time period and we can help you um, get a better understanding of if you qualify for the second round of PPP. All right, now on the first draw, do you, do you have to demonstrate a loss on that one? No, you do not. So the first draw, the only thing you need to do is to provide us the information on what you spent on your payroll and uh, we can calculate it based on that and then you are eligible for the loan. The forgiveness piece is when you prove that you spent the money that is equal to the amount you borrowed or you know has to be equal to to get it fully forgiven um, and that process is uh, an easy process in that They've extended the covered period from originally eight weeks of spending to 24 weeks, which really, because you're getting a loan based on two and a half times your monthly average, you're, you're, you have six months now to uh, spend that money out and be forgiven. So it's, I mean, it does, does work out in, um, in a favorable basis on the math uh, for forgiveness. So it's pretty easy to uh, make sure that you're forgiven on that loan. 
All right, very good. And there's one really important question I want to ask because, you know, I try to keep up with the trends and, and what people are saying about the various aspects of the stimulus package. One of the things that I think I heard some months ago was that businesses had to go to the same institutions where they bank. Is that right or not? Doctor, you can answer that one. Actually, no. You, you're free to um, uh, apply at any participating financial institution, um, and hopefully you'll come to Security Federal Bank, but um, there are a lot of really good banks um, in the community, so any one of them can help you. Uh, one thing I do want to stress is that this is available to churches as well. Um, the funds are also available for restaurants. Um, so we want to make sure that we, we get the word out and make it available to as many people as possible. Okay, great. I'm glad you mentioned the churches because a lot of times people don't think of churches as businesses, but really they're employers too. Absolutely. So it's payroll protection. It's any employer that should be able to qualify. Um, what about uh, sole proprietors and you know the very, very small business that might be an owner and a part-time person? Do those people have any uh, chance of also seeking these funds? And I, I will take that question because uh, that's probably the area that so many small businesses are categorized in. Uh, we probably have more sole proprietors or small businesses where someone shows their income on a Schedule C. Uh, so if you're a sole proprietor or a contract employee that gets 1099, right. you can provide us with a copy of your Schedule C from 2019 and whatever is at the bottom line net, net income, that is going to be your annual because you, you, know, you don't have employees as such as a sole proprietor necessarily. And we will help uh, calculate that. And usually it is going to be based on uh, a calculation of that bottom line net income divided by 12 times 2.5 and that is your PPP loan amount. So anybody out there listening, take a look at your schedule C and if you showed a net income at the bottom line, divide that by 12, multiply it by two and a half and that's your PPP loan. Right. Okay. And Janice, I'll, I'll add to that uh, what, what Phil just mentioned. Um, if everyone would just go to our website, securityfederalbank.com once you get to the home page, you'll see a big blue button that has COVID-19 resources on it. All you do is click on that button and you scroll down, you'll see the application. Um, it is very simple. If you, if you start the application, um, the information is there. If you have any questions, you can always give us a call or email us and we'll be happy to uh, help it to help any way that we can. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with me today. Um, as we prepare to close out, is there any other message that you want to share with our listeners? Sure, uh, Janice. We also can uh, help people through our toll-free number. Uh, we have a, a very great staff in our call center, and that is 866-851-3000. Okay. Again, 866-851-3000. All right. 
Thank you so much for providing that information and thank you all for being partners in our community. Um, and again, your target area for security federal, uh, 17 offices spread between Columbia County and Columbia, South, Columbia County, Georgia and Columbia, South Carolina, right. basically exactly. is your area. So, and you welcome applications from businesses and individual sole proprietors in, in anywhere in those regions, right? Right. All right. Thank you all so much for being with me. Thank you. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Okay. Today, my special guest is Mr. Galen Tootle. Uh, he actually asked to be on the show, and there's absolutely no problem with that. If there are messages that our listeners need to hear, certainly get in contact with me about the opportunity to be on the show. How are you doing today, Galen? I'm doing great, Ms. Jackson. How about you? I am great, great, great. and I'm glad you could be with me. Yes, uh, you are with an organization called Walton Options. Can you tell our listeners what Walton Options does? Yes, ma'am. Walton Options is a center for independent living, uh, and our mission is to improve the lives of disabled folk in the CSRA. We cover a large area of counties here in the CSRA, 13 counties, and uh, our mission, again, is simple. We want to impact and educate our people so that they can live the lives that they want, uh, and we do this through a five-core services program uh, where with advocacy being uh, the number one program because advocacy is the way that we can affect change. And uh, we in the disability community, we understand that in order to affect the change that we need, uh, we have to get out there and do that. So that is why advocacy is one of our uh, major core programs. Then we have what we call information and referral, which is a program where we provide resources and information uh, to our consumers so that uh, they can uh, find whatever it is they, they're looking for. That could be life skills, that could be uh, GPS, which is what we call gaining preparedness skills where they can make themselves uh, ready for employment. Uh, we also have a transition program, which is uh, where we transition folk out of nursing homes back into their communities. We have discovered in the uh, disability community that folk flourish in their own environments. So the transition program is a program that we feel is critical as it relates to uh, impacting our consumers so that they can live the lives they want. So uh, that's a, that is a very big program that we have as well. Then we have what we call a home modification program where we assist folk uh, getting ramps uh, or, or grab bars in their home, other issues that they may face uh, as it relates to being ambulatory. Uh, we also uh, do our, um, uh, what we call MFP, Money Follows the Person, which is again, another type of transition program where we help assist folk getting out of nursing homes. We also have a STAR program where we provide uh, basic uh, things like wheelchairs, uh, rollators, different things like that. So we, we, we cover a wide gamut of, 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 of programs, but with the main focus, as I said, of improving uh, the lives of uh, disabled people throughout the community. Uh, we've been around approximately 26 years, and uh, we are a vibrant 
uh, part of this community because of, again, uh, disabled issues aren't just our issues, they are city issues. And we believe that uh, people should have the right to live comfortably in their own community, in their own homes, uh, which brings us to the part of uh, why we feel that uh, we have to, again, advocate for the things that we need here in Richmond County. Uh, Richmond County is a large county. Uh, we have, uh, uh, I was looking at the statistics, the last statistics I saw was approximately 201,000 people. Uh, in, that in, that, in that population, approximately 20% uh, of the population are folk with disabilities. Which 20%? Means, yes, ma'am. Wow, that's that's even a bigger number than what I anticipated. Mm -hmm. And see what you'll find, uh, and we find this at Walton, and that is why we do it this way. Uh, we let folk declare their disability. Uh, a lot of folk uh, that you see walking around in your daily life, they, they look normal, quote normal, uh, but they have disabilities as well. So that impacts the numbers too. There are a lot of folk, uh, if you don't uh, ask them, they won't tell you uh, that they have that disability. But through the, uh, that is what the statistics say. And uh, with that being said, uh, that means we're, we're here and we want to shop, recreate, and do all of the things that other that the other folk do in the community. Well, here in Richmond County, uh, there's there's a, quite a few barriers. Uh, and uh, the way I think the listeners can 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 see what I'm saying is, uh, you look at your neighborhood, your your subdivisions, or your areas, sidewalks, some of the most basic things that we need, uh, they're not there in our communities, which in turn means that I can't get out and walk in my community if I have ambulatory issues or if I'm blind. Uh, so that's a barrier, traversing my neighborhood. Public transportation, public transportation here, unfortunately, is an issue. Uh, and as it relates to those of us in the disabled community, it, uh, it morphs to even more because uh, some of the services aren't offered on the weekends. So uh, that's a problem. Uh, and then there's also an issue with just knowledge, uh, general knowledge. Uh, I've had uh, consumers who have went down, say, let's use the courthouse for an example. They went down, uh, one, one of the consumers, she was blind, she went down to the courthouse for assistance. And as we know, uh, you know, in all federal and state, and hopefully most businesses, uh, there's accommodations that uh, they make to assist the uh, client. Well, one of our consumers went in and uh, she was basically told that they weren't gonna accommodate her. Now, when you go onto the city's website, you'll see this great uh, write-up about uh, uh, Augusta being an ADA-friendly community and that we do all things uh, to uh, accommodate folk with disabilities. Well, it looks good and it sounds good, but we have to be more proactive in, 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 in making sure that we're just not, we're not only talking the talk, but we're walking the walk. So here uh, we have a lot of issues with that. We have a lot of issues with businesses. When uh, a business opens, uh, if the code people are doing everything that they should do, then uh, Title II of the ADA uh, standards say that it has to be fully accessible for all. 
when you open up, not once you've opened up and you found that, well, hey, I got some accessibility issues here that we weren't aware of. Well, the code folk were supposed to ensure that you do that. So um, we have to look at the fact that there's a mentality here. Uh, and I don't think it's purposeful in most cases because most folks aren't impacted by disability until it uh, affects one of their own, either a family member or, or themselves. Uh, and then uh, most time you can get action on it. Well, we want to be a city here in Augusta where not only do we have this in writing, but we, but we do that. And uh, I will say to you, Ms. Jackson, uh, and for the listeners out there, uh, we are uh, in a crisis mode as it relates to services for us. Uh, we strongly feel that way. Uh, we feel that there should be a disability diversity uh, advisory council here in Richmond County, so that uh, folk with uh, disabilities can advise and give guidance to our elected officials as it, as it relates to uh, improving these uh, areas. Uh, it is one thing uh, as an individual when I go out and uh, I try to access services and uh, I have to deal with the part of educating folk uh, about, for instance, I use a white cane, I'm a blind guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of times when I'm out with my white cane, uh, folk don't uh, understand what that is. And uh, I don't take that personal, uh, but I do take it personal if you resist uh, uh, when I know what the laws say. And uh, it's a mentality here that we're dealing with and we just want to improve it. And that is part of what Walton Options does. Uh, but also as individual community advocates, all of us as disabled people are charged with that. And all of those people who, uh, who aren't disabled, but who can see that need, who can see the urgency, uh, we have to do better uh, here in Richmond County because uh, as I said, our disability community is suffering. I was looking at the employment statistics, 19.3, percent uh, of disabled folk work. In other words, when you flip that, that's what 89.7% of disabled people are unemployed. Uh, that is a sad number, uh, but we can do more. We look at the uh, city website. They say that they uh, employ uh, folk with disabilities. Uh, well, we would want to see that uh, in action because we do have qualified, dedicated people will work. Uh, so the employment uh, situation for our people uh, is, 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 is terrible. Uh, and uh, it's not because we don't have the people who can do the work. Uh, it's just that we have to deal with the mindset of uh, it, uh, letting folk know that we can do the job. Uh, so advocacy is very important. I'm looking forward to this year because uh, as I said, we uh, will at Walton here, we will be uh, leading a charge uh, in order to try to uh, convince the uh, commissioners that we do need this diversity council. And I think that would go a long way uh, as it relates to uh, knocking down some of the barriers here that we face. Because as I said, most of the time it's education. Uh, I would like to think that most folk aren't uh, mean spirited. I would like to think that most folks just don't know. So that is why I, I was so uh, uh, happy that you allowed me the opportunity to come and speak a little bit because uh, we are in that crisis mode. As we look at the voting uh, thing, 
uh, uh, voting is going to be a big issue, uh, the process itself. And uh, we as the disabled community, we have to be vigilant about that because uh, uh, as a blind voter, the process hasn't been accessible since they established it. Uh, which which is, leads me to a question. Tell me, what do you do when it's time to vote? Uh, we, we go vote. And uh, I encourage uh, our people that we go there as an individual and we request to be able to vote independently as an individual. The system should be designed so that we can do that. Voting is a right. It is not a, a privilege. So if you're going to have something out there that the entire population uh, uh, has to take part in, then it should be accessible. So what we normally do, uh, machines are basically accessible to the point where for blind voters, where uh, until you get to the end part, when you have to uh, evaluate your ballot, make sure that it printed what you ask it to print before you put it in the harbor. That's broken. Uh, they 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 allow us to bring in devices, but most of our people uh, don't have the technology or the wherewithal to do that. So it's a broken process. Uh, so uh, when I go vote, I demand that the machines are up and running properly, like they should be, so that I can cast my vote independently. I certainly hope that you enjoyed those programs. We'll have part two of Mr. Tootle's presentation on a later date. But my primary topic for next week is the Augusta Judicial Circuit. Chief Judge Carl Brown will join me to talk about how uh, the process works and his position on whether it is in the best interest of our residents to break up the Augusta Judicial Circuit. So please join us on February 3rd for his discussion with us. As always, if you want to go back to listen to other shows, they're all available on my website. Please Google Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. My website will appear and there's a local matters tab there where you can go back and listen to any of our old shows. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge demonstrating love for your local community and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net because local matters.